This is RCT4, the Creed and Pope St. Pius V. We are on pages 1 through 10 and 12 to 13 in reverse order today. RCT stands for Roman Catechism of Trent. God give you his peace and omni pace sefiti et spiritus santi. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us, and save us. You who are all good, amen. In nomine Patri, Sefiti, et Spiritu Santi, amen. The Introduction to the Creed, page 12 to 13. Now the chief truths which Christians ought to hold are those which the holy apostles, the leaders and teachers of the faith inspired by the Holy Ghost, have divided into the twelve articles of the Creed. For having received a command from the Lord to go forth into the whole world as his ambassadors and preach the gospel to every creature, see 2 Corinthians 5 and Mark 16:15. they, the apostles, thought it advisable to draw up a formula of Christian faith, that all might think and speak the same thing, and that among those whom they should have called to the unity of the faith, no schisms would exist, but that they should be perfect in the same mind and in the same judgment, see 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This profession of Christian faith and hope drawn up by themselves the apostles, called a symbol, either because it was made up of various parts, each of which was contributed by an apostle, or because by it, as by a common sign and watchword, they might easily distinguish deserters from the faith and false brethren unaware brought in, see Galatians 2.4, adulterating the word of God, as in 2 Corinthians 2 and 4. From those who had truly bound themselves by oath to serve under the banner of Christ. Number six, the division of the creed. Christianity proposes to the faithful many truths which, either separately or in general, must be held with an assured and firm faith. Among these, what must first and necessarily be believed by all is that which God Himself has taught us as the foundation and summary of truth concerning the unity of the divine essence the distinctions of three persons, and the actions which are peculiarly attributed to each. The pastor should teach that the Apostles' Creed briefly comprehends the doctrine of this mystery. For as has been observed by our predecessors in the faith, who have treated this subject with great piety and accuracy, the Creed seems to be divided into three principal parts, one describing the first person of the divine nature and the stupendous work of the creation, another the second person and the mystery of man's redemption, A third, the third person, the head and source of our sanctification, the whole being expressed in various and most appropriate propositions. These propositions are called articles from a comparison frequently used by the fathers. For as the members of the body are divided by joints or articuli, so in this profession of faith, whatever is to be believed distinctly and separately from anything else is rightly and suitably called an article. Okay, and just a quick public service announcement that you may have heard in my last VLX I do promote my Apple podcast quite a bit, but some of you probably watch these videos and occasionally want the capability of audio only on the go on your Android smartphones. If that's the case, remember you can get the audio only for all these podcasts on the go for free on your Android too. Some of these Android apps in which I'm pretty sure you'll find the option to subscribe to Padre Peregrino is Anchor, CastBox, Dogcatcher with two Gs, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Spotify. Notice also we are using the Tan Publishers pagination on this Roman Catechism of Trent 
podcast, but Baronius Publishers also has a very nice version. Maybe the page numbers even line up. You can let me know in the comments. Now, if you remember last time, I said you can have the truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. This does square away with the principle of evidence that Father Ripperger recently spoke of. It also lines up with St. Thomas Aquinas, who asserts that the will follows the intellect, not vice versa. The will follows the intellect. But as I listened again to RCT3, I thought, well, here would be my rebuttal of that podcast if I were just starting to know my Catholic faith. I would point out against my last podcast that at the canonization of Edith Stein, Pope John Paul II said, quote, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross says to us all, do not accept anything as the truth if it lacks love, and do not accept anything as love which lacks truth. Now that's a good line. So how does that line up with what I said so many times in RCT3? Again, that you can have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. Well, that quote from the Pope, it's really a poetic imperative, and it's a good quote, but it ignores the fact that St. Paul teaches you can have faith without charity, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, of course, Pope John Paul II is totally correct empirically and experientially the truth and love normally ebb and flow as a single front. That's what he or St. Edith Stein meant, and I actually agree with them, that as we meet people, we should usually see that their level of truth should be equal to their level of love. And if it doesn't, something's off in their lives. But simply theologically speaking, we must realize that faith is the building block of charity, and charity is the pinnacle. That's why what Pope John Paul II says is true as far as a good sense about going through life. Again, do not accept anything as the truth if it lacks love, and do not accept anything as love which lacks truth. It's a great quote. But again, that doesn't disprove the theological fact I said so many times in RCT3 that you can have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. And that's why I was insisting in the last podcast we must start with the principle of evidence, just as Father Ripperger recently alluded to in a talk on how so many people are confused on basic issues in church and state. Again, we must start with the evidence, not how nice somebody is. Now, of course, we really should be nice in presenting evidence of things happening in church and state, and even more in the basics of evangelization, but really, evidence comes first. That's why it's so important to show Jesus rose from the dead physically before we get into other issues like debating our alternative lifestyles. Because you see, if Jesus rose from the dead, just as we believe and know, then the entire traditional Catholic viewpoint is true. And this is also why old-school catechisms start with the faith before, say, advanced ascetical theology on the unitive way of prayer, which, by the way, is nothing short of union with God who is love. Again, we have to have the truth before we get to the pinnacle of love. And truth refers to the faith, supernatural faith. I'm rereading Divine Intimacy, which I know some of you are reading, and we had this beautiful description of the faith from... Father Gabriel in that book, and he quotes St. Thomas Aquinas in the second part of the second part of the Summa. St. Thomas says that, quote, faith is a habitual disposition of the soul by which eternal life begins in us. It is a beginning of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Our Catholic faith is the beginning of eternal life. And then divine intimacy continues. In fact, by faith, we begin to know God as we shall one day know him in heaven. There we shall know him unveiled in the light of glory. Here below we know him dimly by means of the truths which faith proposes to us to believe. Truths which give us, however, 
the very same God. Faith and the beatific vision are like two phases of the same knowledge of God. Faith gives us an initial obscure, imperfect knowledge. The beatific vision, where faith will end, will give us full, clear, perfect knowledge. But see, that right there shows you we need the Catholic faith to obtain the beatific vision. Okay, and now I want to read you something that I should have read last time. It is the foreword to this book from Pope St. Pius V. But this fits in perfectly to the creed today, so I'm glad I forgot it earlier. So we'll finish with this, Pope St. Pius V's Necessity of Religious Instruction. I'm going to read you his little intro, Necessity of Religious Instruction. And notice as I read this that he quotes sacred scripture so often that I'm not even going to cite chapter and verse like him, but just listen how often you hear sacred scripture here. And final note before beginning his preamble, keep in mind that what he calls here once pestilence is actually Protestantism, which had just sprung up in the 16th century right before he wrote this to accompany the Roman Catechism of Trent. Issued by order of Pope Pius V, Introductory, The Necessity of Religious Instruction. Such is the nature of the human mind and intellect that although by means of diligent and laborious inquiry, it has of itself investigated and discovered many other things pertaining to a knowledge of divine truths. Yet guided by its natural lights, it never could have known or perceived most of those things by which is attained eternal salvation, the principal end of man's creation and formation to the image and likeness of God. It is true that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are, as the Apostle teaches, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, his eternal power also and divinity. But the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and generations so far transcends the reach of man's understanding that were it not made manifest by God to his saints to whom he willed to make known by the gift of faith the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ, man could by no effort attain to such wisdom. But as faith cometh by hearing, it is clear how necessary at all times for the attainment of eternal salvation has been the labor and faithful ministry of an authorized teacher. For it is written, How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And indeed, never from the very creation of the world has God, most merciful and benignant, been wanting to his own. But at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke to the fathers by the prophets and pointed out to them in a manner suited to the times and circumstances a sure and direct path to the happiness of heaven. But as he had foretold that he would give a teacher of justice to be the light of the Gentiles, that his salvation might reach even to the ends of the earth. In these last days he hath spoken to us by his Son, whom also by a voice from heaven, from the excellent glory, he has commanded all to hear and to obey. Furthermore, the Son gave some to be, some to be apostles, and some prophets, and others pastors and teachers, to announce the word of life, that we might not be carried about like children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but holding fast to the firm foundation of the faith, we might be built together into a habitation of God in the Spirit. Lest any should receive the word of God from the ministers of the church, not as the word of Christ, which it really is, but as the word of man, the same Savior has ordained that their ministry should be invested with so great authority that he says to them, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me. These words he spoke not only of those to whom his words were addressed, but likewise of all who by legitimate succession should discharge the ministry of the word, 
promising to be with them all days, even to the consummation of the world. The Need of an Authoritative Catholic Catechism But while the preaching of the divine word should never be interrupted in the church, surely in these, our days, it becomes necessary to labor with more than ordinary zeal and piety to, in, to nourish and strengthen the faithful with sound and wholesome doctrine, as with the food of life. For false prophets have gone forth into the world to corrupt the minds of the faithful with various and strange doctrines, of whom the Lord has said, I did not send prophets, yet they ran. I spoke not to them, yet they prophesied. In this work, to such extremes has their impiety practiced in all the arts of Satan been carried, that it would seem almost impossible to confine it within any bounds. And did we not rely on the splendid promises of the Savior, who declared that he had built his church on so solid a foundation that the gates of hell should not prevail against it, we should have good reason to fear, lest beset on every side by such a host of enemies, and assailed and attacked by so many machinations, it would in these days fall to the ground. For, to say nothing of those illustrious states which heretofore professed in piety and holiness, the true Catholic faith transmitted to them by their ancestors, but are now gone astray, wandering from the paths of truth, and openly declaring that their best claims to piety are founded on a total abandonment of the faith of their fathers, there is no region, however remote, no place, however securely guarded, no corner of Christendom, into which this pestilence has not sought secretly to insinuate itself. For those who intended to corrupt the minds of the faithful, knowing that they could not hold immediate personal intercourse with all, and thus pour into their ears their poison doctrines, adopted another plan, which enabled them to disseminate error and impiety more easily and extensively. Besides those voluminous works by which they sought the subversion of the Catholic faith, to guard against which volumes required perhaps little labor or circumspection, since their contents were clearly heretical, they also composed innumerable smaller books, which, veiling their errors under the semblance of piety, deceived with incredible facility the unsuspecting minds of simple folk. The Nature of This Work The Fathers, therefore, of the General Council of Trent, anxious to apply some healing remedy to so great and pernicious an evil, were not satisfied with having decided the more important points of Catholic doctrine against the heresies of our times, but deemed it further necessary to issue, for the instruction of the faithful in the very rudiments of faith, a form and method to be followed in all churches by those to whom are lawfully entrusted the duties of pastor and teacher. To works of this kind, many, it is true, had already given their attention and earned the reputation of great piety and learning, but the fathers deemed it of the first importance that a work should appear, sanctioned by the authority of the council from which pastors and all others on whom the duty of imparting instruction devolves may be able to seek and find reliable matter for the edification of the faithful, that as there is one Lord, one faith, there may also be one standard and prescribed form of propounding the dogmas of faith and instructing Christians in all the duties of piety. As therefore the design of the work embraces a variety of matters, it cannot be supposed that the Council intended that in one volume all the dogmas of Christianity should be explained with that minuteness of detail to be found in the works of those who profess to treat the teaching and doctrines of religion in their entirety. Such a task would be one of almost endless labor and manifestly ill-suited to attain the proposed end. But having undertaken to instruct pastors and such as have care of souls and those things that belong peculiarly to the pastoral office, and are accommodated to the capacity of the faithful, the council intended that such things only should be treated of as might assist the pious zeal of pastors in discharging the duty of instruction, 
should they not be very familiar with the more abstruse questions of theology. The ends or goals of religious instruction. Hence, before we proceed to develop in detail the various parts of this summary of doctrine, our purpose requires that we premise a few observations which the pastor should consider and bear in mind in order to know to what end, as it were, all his plans and labors and efforts are to be directed, and how this desired end may be more easily attained. Knowledge of Christ The first thing is ever to recollect that all Christian knowledge is reduced to one single head, or rather, to use the words of the Apostle, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. A teacher in the church should, therefore, use his best endeavors that the faithful earnestly know, desire to know Jesus Christ and him crucified, that they be firmly convinced and with the most heartfelt piety and devotion believe that there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved, for he is the propitiation for our sins. Observance of the Commandments But since by this we know we have love of him if we keep his commandments, the next consideration, and one intimately connected with the preceding, is to press also upon the attention of the faithful that their lives are not to be wasted in ease and indolence, but that we are to walk even as he walked, and pursue with all earnestness, justice, godliness, faith, charity, patience, mildness. For he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and might cleanse to himself a people acceptable, a pursuer of good works. These things the apostle commands pastors to speak and exhort. Love of God. But as our Lord and Savior has not only declared, but has also proved by his own example, that the law and the prophets depend on love, and as according to the apostle, charity is the end of the commandment and the fulfillment of the law, it is unquestionably a chief duty of the pastor to use the utmost diligence to excite the faithful to a love of the infinite goodness of God towards us, that burning with a sort of divine ardor, they may be powerfully attracted to the supreme and all-perfect good to adhere to what is true and solid happiness, as is fully experienced by him who can say with the prophet, What have I in heaven, and besides thee, what do I desire upon earth? This assuredly is that more excellent way, pointed out by the apostle, when he sums up all doctrines and instructions in charity, which never falleth away. For whatever is proposed by the pastor, whether it be the exercise of faith, of hope, or some moral virtue, the love of our Lord should at the same time be so strongly insisted upon as to show clearly that all the works of perfect Christian virtue can have no other origin, no other end, than divine love. The means required for religious instruction. But as in imparting instruction of any sort, the manner of communicating it is of highest importance, so in conveying religious instruction to the people, the method should be deemed of the greatest moment. Instruction should be accommodated to the capacity of the hearer. Age, capacity, manners, and condition must be borne in mind, so that he who instructs may become all things to all men, in order that he may be able to gain all to Christ, prove himself a dutiful minister and steward, and, like a good and faithful servant, be found worthy to be placed by his Lord over many things. The priest must not imagine that those committed to his care are all on the same level, so that he can follow one fixed and unvarying method of instruction to lead all in the same way to knowledge and true piety. For some are as newborn infants, others are growing up in Christ, while a few are, so to say, of full maturity. Hence the necessity of considering 
who they are that have occasion for milk, who for more solid food, and of affording to each such nourishment of doctrine as may give spiritual increase until we all meet in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the age of the fullness of Christ. This the apostle inculcates for all by his own example when he says that he is a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise, thus giving all who are called to this ministry to understand that in announcing the mysteries of faith and the precepts of life, the instruction is to be so accommodated to the capacity and intelligence of the hearers, that while the minds of the strong are filled with spiritual food, the little ones be not suffered to perish with hunger, asking for bread, while there is none to break it unto them. Zeal. Nor should our zeal in communicating Christian knowledge be relaxed, because it has sometimes to be exercised in expounding matters apparently humble and unimportant, and whose exposition is usually irksome, especially to minds accustomed to the contemplation of more sublime truths of religion, if the wisdom of the Eternal Father descended upon the earth in the meanness of our flesh, to teach us the maxims of a heavenly life, who is there whom the love of Christ does not constrain to become little in the midst of his brethren, and as a nurse fostering her children so anxiously to wish for the salvation of his neighbors, as to be ready, as the Apostle says of himself, to give them not only the gospel of God, but even his own life. Study of the Word of God now all the doctrines in which the faithful are to be instructed are contained in the word of God, which is found in scripture and tradition. To the study of these, therefore, the pastor should devote his days and his nights, keeping in mind the admonition of St. Paul to Timothy, which all who have the care of souls should consider as addressed to themselves. Attend to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. For all scripture divinely inspired is profitable to teach, to reprove, to correct, to instruct in justice, that the man of God may be perfect, furnished to every good work. Division of this Catechism The truths revealed by Almighty God are so many and so various that it is no easy task to acquire a knowledge of them, or, having done so, to remember them so well as to be able to explain them with ease and readiness when occasion requires. Hence, our predecessors in the faith have very wisely reduced all the doctrines of salvation to these four heads. 1. The Apostles' Creed 2. The Sacraments, 3. The Ten Commandments, and 4. The Lord's Prayer. The part on the Creed contains all that is to be held according to Christian faith, whether it regard the knowledge of God, the creation and government of the world, or the redemption of man, the rewards of the good and the punishments of the wicked. The part devoted to the seven sacraments teaches us what are the signs and, as it were, the instruments of grace. In the part on the Decalogue, or Ten Commandments, is described whatever has reference to the law, whose end is charity. Finally, the Lord's Prayer contains whatever can be the object of the Christian's desires or hopes or prayers. The exposition, therefore, of these four parts, which are, as it were, the general heads of sacred scripture, includes almost everything that a Christian should learn. How this work is to be used. We therefore deem it proper to inform pastors that Whenever they have occasion in the ordinary discharge of their duty to expound any passage of the gospel or any other part of Holy Scripture, they will find its subject matter treated under some one of the four heads already enumerated to which they will recur as to the source from which their instruction is to be drawn. Thus, if the gospel of the first Sunday of Advent is to be explained, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon. Whatever regards its explanation is contained under the article of the Creed. He shall come to judge the living and the dead. And by embodying the substance of that article in his exposition, the pastor will at once instruct his people in the creed and in the gospel. 
Whenever, therefore, he has to communicate instruction and expound the scriptures, he will observe the same rule of referring all to these four principal heads under which, as we observed, the whole teaching and doctrine of, of Holy Scripture is contained. As for order, however, he is free to follow that which he deems best suited to the circumstances of persons and time. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>